0: Alright, what's up, Gravel family? I'm Jason. And I'm Sophia. And we've got kind of another unique one. We're going to highlight another person who, all of this, would not exist without him.
1: And fun fact, this, so we interviewed this guy. The podcast came out a year ago today, and this is our second time interviewing him. So kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, so second He's the second person to go twice. Bobby Wendtel is the only other one. Yeah. Um, So without further ado, the founder of Gravel Worlds, he is in the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame as an athlete and as a promoter. He has won Unbound 200 and many, many other accolades that we could go on and on forever. But we're super thankful uh, for this person. But what we're mostly talking about today is a huge self-supported race that he has completed called The Tour Divide. So welcome to the podcast, Corey Godfrey, finisher of Tour Divide. Woohoo! Well, thanks for having me back,
2: you guys. Appreciate it.
1: This is going to be a cool (laughs) episode because usually we have lots of questions prepared. We, you know, we kind of go over who are you and what's your story. But this one, it's really what is this specific story and tell us about this time in your life. And that's what the entire episode is going to be about.
2: Yeah. So, Corey, what is The Tour Divide? Well, The Tour Divide is a Bike packing, uh, race touring event that starts in Banff, Canada, Alberta, Canada, and goes along primarily the Great um, the Great Divide mountain bike route. Hopefully, I got that right. Um, and it goes all the way down to um, the Mexican border. So, which is going to be Antelope Wells, New Mexico. I so
0: for Banff, for those of you that don't know, is a national park up in Canada. It's mm-hmm what 300 miles north of the Canadian border or maybe even farther than that so it's it's a ways up into Canada and then you go clear down to Mexico all self-supported um similar to kind of like the long voyage but like on every steroid on this planet so you you can't have outside support of any kind like you can't even have like people cheering for you on the side of the road because that's an advantage some people won't have so um yeah just a ridiculous uh feat of endurance so when did you do the tour divide
2: Uh, i did it in 2016 so i like to say it was the uh the easier so it was the um from what people said the best weather ever so there wasn't a lot of snowpack that year and i think it was pretty warm early in the year so i think i walked through maybe six feet of snow whereas like in 2022 um people were slogging through miles of snow on mountain passes and also my and it
0: actually snowed on them last year too right like they actually got snow while they were oh yeah heavy. heavy, they got like a blizzard yeah
2: actually the first day i had a little bit of snow on me a little bit of snow (laughs) and sleet but luckily it wasn't sticking you know it wasn't accumulating it was just cold and wet um but yeah 2016 Uh, That was a year that Mike Hall set the record. I think it's 13 days and I don't know so many hours, but I mean, no one's really come super close to that record. So Um, that's still the fastest time. It's still. And how many
1: miles is it?
2: Uh, that year it was over 2,700, I believe. Uh, I think my total mileage is like 2,750 or something like that. Wow, but that's like (laughs) insane in
1: two weeks.
2: Well, for me it was uh, over three weeks, but yeah, for Mike that's still a very fast time, though. Yeah, it's it's Mike was doing yeah over 200 miles a day probably wow so easily 200 miles a day. and and that's like
0: where i know our podcast is gravel but this is mountain bike miles and not like mm-hmm. not like i a, a little easy mountain bike trail like this is rugged up and down mountain bike trails
1: what was the training that went into you getting to that start line at banff
2: well a lot of gravel vents. um just riding my a uh, bike packing bike, and uh, one trick that I did, which I thought would help me with like the weight of of riding a, a rig that was fully loaded, um, I went out and got um, twenty dollars in pennies. So I got yeah, like went up to the I think I went through the drive-through, which is probably a bad idea. So like, can I get can I get a roll like rolls of pennies with the whole up a twenty? They're like, I don't think we have that many pennies here. Um, like, and so I had to basically schedule town to come back. And like, why don't you come back later today, we're we'll gonna drop off and we'll have some pennies for you. So yeah, I got uh, 40 rolls of pennies and stuck them in my um, top two bag. So there's a lot of weight in the middle of my bike. And you know, that way it was easier to kind of cart around if I was traveling or whatever, doing gravel events. And I tried to ride, tried to ride that through all my spring uh, gravel events uh, the year leading up to it. So having that many pennies and can you guess how many pounds? 20 dollars and pennies
0: Ooh. okay so you said it's 20 rolls I bet well, it's 40 rolls I bet a
2: roll uh, is like
0: a half a pound so like 20 25 pounds something like
2: that well a roll is 50 cents so oh. I, I didn't actually weigh it what I did is I, I googled how much does a penny weigh <laughs> and, and multiplied and it and multiplied it yeah extrapolated <laughs> it up but it was like uh and I think maybe I did like I st- stood on a scale at home with the bike with and without but it was like a little over 11 pounds so, I mean, it wasn't as bad as that. No, I it wasn't that bad. No. But, you know, just having like an additional 11 pounds in your bike, I mean, That's ride, a lot. Ride, yeah. riding your bike all the time with that, you get, a, you know, cu- uh, accustomed to more weight in your bike. It handles differently. Um, it definitely doesn't want to come off the ground. So, I will say that, which is good because it's stable, especially when you're riding some rocky stuff. Um, but it was really a good idea to do that. And, and I rode, uh, I think, a majority of the gravel events I did, except for um, I didn't do Unbound because I think Unbound was like six days before the start of tour divide that year so I, I didn't ride that bike for that because i don't want to end up destroying it but yeah that was a little uh, uh trick i had and I just rode a ton of miles you know i think i was trying to ride 300 miles a week at oh least. wow that's crazy you know, yep and you had a full-time job too at the time right yep had a full-time job just riding to work every day uh, taking the the long way to work long way home riding big rides on the weekend so yeah
0: would you would you take rest days when you were training for that or was
2: it seven days a week pretty much oh uh, you know i think i was trying to ride every day because i was trying to get used to doing that i mean i did pretty much anyway i mean but getting used to riding daily uh, especially if you're going to be doing that for 2700 miles you just you kind of have to get used to it and you really have to uh get your your metabolism used to it used to eating a ton used to drinking a ton but also this like your your body physically being on the bike, getting your hands, you know, your feet, your butt, all those things kind of ready to be just pounded for (laughs) 2,700 (laughs) miles. So, I mean, really, that's a big deal for me.
1: So did you fly up to Banff or did you have someone drive you and drop you off?
2: No, a good buddy of mine, he he heard I was going to be doing it. So he's like, hey, uh, I'd like to go up and just like, try the first little bit of it. So how about I drive you up there? So another, uh, Nebraskan, um, Lane Bergen, he was going to do it as well. So we're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Cause you can fly up there. That's a lot of people do. Cause there's a lot of international participants. I'd say probably half the people that participate are international. So a lot of people fly into Banff and then they actually not even to Banff, they fly into Calgary, I think. And then they take a shuttle to Banff. So there's a lot of things to consider, a lot of logistics hoping your bike gets there in one piece, you know. hopefully it doesn't get broken on the way up there. But driving up there, it just kinda makes it a lot easier. It's a long trip, I think we did it in two days, two and a half days, but um, my friend Don Daly, and thank you, Don, for doing that, you're the best. I still owe you for that. Um, He went up there with us and he started the event and I think he made it to Butte, maybe? So then he- Oh, so he made it to the US. Yeah, because his parents went up there and they flew up there, and they were going to drive his vehicle back and pick him up. So one hiccup, though, as we're about ready to cross over into Canada, you have to have a passport, you know. Yeah. And uh, he realized his passport was expired. Oh no! As we're like, oh, as we're no. at the window, like almost the window, you know, he's like looking at his passport. He's like, "This thing's expired." So I was like, <laughs> "Well, um, let's see if we can get in." So uh, they must not look very closely. They let us in. So he had, nice. he had no trouble. It's like, you're going to get in, but man, you're going to have a hard time getting back. Yeah. But he didn't, I guess the, the people were cool about that. They're like, yeah, well obviously, you know, you're you're an American citizen. We take care of you guys. So yeah, he's like, come on in. So I, I, was, <laughs> I was kind awesome. of worried about him getting back, but he made it back.
0: So like before you went up, did you have to like quit your job? Cause you took like a month off.
2: No, um, over the course of like three years, I basically just saved up a bunch of vacation and, you know, I pretty much told my employer, um, hey, I want to do this, and talked to him about it, uh, worked a ton in advance of that, got everything ready, and they were cool about it. They let me take the time off, and I, I took five weeks off by the time everything was said and done, between traveling up there, doing the event, um, getting back. But I literally got back on, I think I finished on July 3rd, drove back July 4th, went back to work July 5th.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. Don't recommend that. That was, it was terrible. It sounds like oh, it hurts. Man, it, it was, talk about zombie it was, hangover. Good yeah, gracious. It was pretty bad, but yeah, I got through it.
1: So what was the process? Like, just talk us through the start to the finish of this event and what you went through, what you saw, everything.
2: Well, I mean, the start was really cool. Um, lots of people, like I said, international, um, just meeting some, some crazy, you know, ultra distance um, biking folks. From all different backgrounds, that was really, really cool. Um, you know, I, I had no no expectations for my performance um, when I started. I was just hoping to hoping to finish. But I knew I'd probably end up riding with someone, some of the same pace. And first day, I end up riding with a, a couple, couple folks. But, um, you know, like I said, the first day, it rained immediately almost. And that was kind of a shock. So you start so, wet, no. like you're starting well, wet. Yeah, and I think... I mean, it didn't start raining at the start, I think like maybe two hours into it, but I think that was kind of a slap in the face to a lot of folks, because it was cold. You're at elevation. Um, yeah, I didn't bring a ton of stuff. I, I, I think I started with a short sleeve jersey, uh, shorts, and or bibs, and knee warmers. So I wasn't wearing a ton, and I didn't have um, a ton of clothing. I think a rain jacket was primarily what I had, but, you know, riding into that. And I had goals of getting uh, pretty far the first day, but you know, immediately starts raining. And then once I kind of got away from people, um, there's a realization that you're in the wilderness and you're not on top of the food chain anymore. So that was kind of scary, you know, here in Nebraska, you know, maybe we have mountain lions, but you don't ever really see them, but you know, there. um, there's some things that could probably eat you. You know, a <laughs> yeah. uh, grizzly bear. Um, There are mountain lions up there, obviously. Um, I remember driving... Wolves. Wolves. I remember driving into Banff. And as we're driving up there, like, a, a sign on the highway said something about, like, caution wolf packs or something like that. I was like, did you guys see that? I was like, is there something <laughs> about, like, wolf packs? We're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, like, dang. I didn't even think about wolves. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just that was kind of a, a shock. Um, but I, I, I really didn't prepare as well as I should have. I will admit that, uh, my bike wasn't really super dialed yet. I'm, I'm kind of the mentality, like I'll figure it out as I, I get in there. Um, but that's fine for gravel vents, but probably not this event. I mean, I probably should have prepared more. Um, but eventually I, I kind of figured things out after settling in, got kind of into a groove, uh, primarily rode by myself, Um, majority of the way, all the way down to the border, I didn't, you know, share some miles with a few folks here and there, but I kind of wanted to ride on myself, honestly. Um, just to see if I could do it myself. I mean, that was kind of the thing I really wanted to see, like, can I do this myself versus, um, budding up with folks, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks do that like to buddy up. But for me, I really wanted to see, uh, if I had it, had what it took to, to get to the border down to Mexico.
0: That's crazy. So, um, what, let's kind of go over your bike itself. Like what, what bike were you riding at the time? And then what did you have on your bike? Cause you're like, we've said several times you carried everything. So from tents to what clothing you're wearing to everything.
2: So what was your, what was your bike setup? So, I mean, the, the Tour Divide, it's it's primarily dubbed as like a mountain bike race, but you are on a lot of like Jeep trails, gravel roads, and some pavement. Occasionally, there's a little bit of single track, not a ton, but a lot of people ride mountain bikes um, or a drop bar mountain bike, that's what I had. I had a Salsa, Fargo, Titanium. Um, it works great, lots of clearance, uh, kind of comfortable geometry, can t- take the beating, the componentry, so primarily mountain bike components. But it was a drop bar mountain bike. Um, I didn't have a suspension fork. A lot of people opt for that. I kind of wish I would have had a suspension fork after a while. Because um, the the terrain there, like, think about, like, the worst gravel road we have here. And it's like that all the time, you know. Um, there's never any good lines, it seems like, in a straight line. So you're always kind of searching for something so the mountain bike is ideal for that with fatter tires I, I rode um i think i started with like a two three in the front and then two two in the rear and ended up after doing a tire change uh doing two three fives in the front and rear just direct to kush um, so you
0: did a tire change in the middle yeah I like did, you found a bike shop or something Yep,
2: or? yep in steamboat yeah actually it was a, it was a and actually a friend of mine who dropped in butte um he had some tires there and i knew that that was a set of tires. Like, gosh, that sounds great. I should have done that. Like, after two days of riding, and then I found out he dropped out. And I texted him, "Hey, dude, sorry you dropped out. Can I, can I get those tires off you?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, they're at the shop in Steamboat. Just tell them, you know, and I'm sure they'll sell them to you." I'm like, so I end up getting those tires. Um, but yeah, back to gear. So on the bike, you're carrying supplies for basically camping. I mean, it is bike packing. So just imagine um, backpacking, but on your bike. So, uh, I carried a, a bivy and a sleeping quilt with a closed footbed. Um, it was down. Um, I carried rain gear, like rain pants, rain jacket, um, extra pair of socks, um, a pair of shorts to kind of like walk around in, uh, I think like an extra base layer. Uh, I carried a puffy vest and I didn't carry a stove. Um, I didn't really carry any extra clothes beyond that. So I was pretty minimal. How much water
0: so, were, were you carrying? And was it just bottles? Or did you have like a bladder, like a camelback
2: of any kind? Yeah, I did bottles. So on my fork, uh, I would carry a liter on each uh, blade of the fork. And then I'd have as uh, much as I could squeeze into um, one of in the down tube, one of the C-tube, a bottle. It was only like a 20-ounce bottle. That's all I could fit. And then I had, a, I think, a 16-ounce bottle. On the bottom of the down tube and if i was really um thinking i'd be lack of water for a long pretty time i put a water bottle or two maybe in one in my pocket or one in a feed bag on the handlebar so you had to get creative I, I did run out of water once and that was terrible um i ran out of food once um terrible but not as terrible as running out of water So that,
0: those are semi-funny stories like what like. Tell the the
2: story of like running out of water and running out of food. Yeah. So the first day, uh, I had, I carried enough food, but I was like, oh, I, I did great. I, I I didn't think I'd need as much food the next day on day two, and that's when I ran out of food. But uh, I thought I could stop somewhere, and for some reason, I think I, I either didn't go there or I just made a miscalculation on calories, wasn't counting right. And you know, it's really based on you got to think about. Okay, what am I averaging for speed? How far do I need to go? And for me, I averaged about 10 miles per hour. So you just do the math backwards and thinking you need 500 calories per hour. Well, I was like off by a thousand calories that day for some reason. So I ran out of food like two, two hours before I got anywhere. It was pretty bad. And I was like, I was riding with a couple people once in a while. I was like, yeah, I ran out of food. I was hoping they would throw me something, you know. <laughs> but they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting close to being out of food too. Like, okay, that's cool.
1: <laughs> what was your food choice? Like, were you living off, you know, goos and trail bars and that kind of stuff? Or were you having meals along the way? I know you said oh, you didn't yeah. have a stove, but... Oh, yeah.
2: Just just meals. Like, I didn't carry a stove. I mean, some people to choose to uh, carry a stove and have, like, dehydrated food. Like, I was, wasn't was really racing in. I consider fast touring. So, my goal every day when I wake up, I was like, I'd look and see, okay, I, d- I didn't carry any maps with me. I did a terrible job preparing, like learning about the train. I figured I'll just figure it out when I get there. You know, I knew like distances between um, major places to get food and how many feet of elevation gain. That's really all I knew. I didn't know if it was like three passes or one pass or any of that. Or if it was rocky, and it's like, yeah, I'll just figure it out. Um, but I would just basically go from each, uh, point to each re- uh, refuel And then whenever I got to a city or whatever, a place I can refuel, I would eat, immediately go in, grab some hot food, eat as much as I possibly could, like eat to the point where you were uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then, uh, load up on food before I left and then take off and then go to my next destination.
0: Didn't you tell me once like you stopped at like a McDonald's or something and just, downed like
2: four cheeseburgers or something. Was that you? Was um, I mean the only McDonald's that I hit were like basically the first day in Banff and then there's one in Silver City, which is the second to last day. Those are the only two McDonalds I saw. But I did eat a lot of stuff in McDonald's like in both locations. <laughs> so. so like so then like when you're stop
0: like are your stops gas stations, like almost predominantly gas station food?
2: Well, yeah, pretty much, or along the route, there's a lot of small towns, um, and usually like a diner or a bar and grill, I did a lot of, like, burgers and just, you know, anything I can get, like breakfast and pancakes and eggs, I mean, it's it's incredible how much you could eat, like, and I lost still, like, 12 pounds. Wow. You you, know? you lost 12 pounds yeah. in 24 days? He's... Yeah, 12 pounds, I mean, I was pretty skinny, yeah, well, actually, I'm about the same weight right now, so. <laughs>
1: Were you camping every night or did you ever stop in towns and stay at hotels?
2: Oh, like I, after like realizing that you're not top of the food chain, um, I was like, "Ah, I think I'm just going to go ahead and credit card this thing as much as I can. So first day, I I think I did 140 and I stopped in, I think Sparwood and got a motel room because it was going to be raining all night too. And I was already wet. And uh, on the first day, like three hours in, I made a miscalculation in packing my my tangle bag and my frame bag, and had it too like thick around the middle, and my calf was rubbing on it. But I was so cold, I didn't realize that. Oh man! So I had rubbed my left calf completely raw on the inside, I mean, ouch. like bleeding raw. I mean, it was it was. And you didn't even know because like, I was ouch, so cold. Because it was numb. Yeah, I was just completely cold and. I like, yeah, because I had just knee warmers on. So like the part that was exposed, it was, so I knew I had to take care of that. Um, but I think the second, no, the second day I also got a a hotel. The third night, um, we crossed over into the United States, start of uh, day three. And I ended up riding with a couple Canadians, um, Dean and David. And they convinced me I'd already done like that day. It was a bigger day. I think we had done like 140 at that point. And we decided, like, they convinced me to go camp with them, like, another 30 miles over this mountain pass. So, we're at a convenience store in this smaller town. And I was, like, I was looking for, like, an Airbnb or, like, a bed and breakfast. I'm, like, I think I'm going to stay here, guys. I mean, it was, like, only 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, dude, it's only 4, man. You got to keep going. Like, "Like, have you camped outside yet? Like, no. Like, oh, man, come on. Like, you got to do this. Like, okay. So... They talked me into it. So I went back in because I wasn't going to get food the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back into the community store to get more food because we're, they were sitting outside the community store eating food. And after I got more food, it, I came back out and there's a local talking to the guys. And they're like, oh, hey, hey like, the locals like, what are you guys going to do? I'm like, oh, we're going to go up and over this pass and then camp tonight. He's like, really? He goes, that's where we put the problem, Grizzlies. And, uh, oh my gosh So I was like okay what's the problem
1: with <laughs> You're know, like that sounds scarier than yeah. a normal grizzly
2: Well he's like those are the ones that come into town And we catch And we you know go over the mountain pass And put them over there So th- probably because they come into town Because yeah. they're getting yeah. trash or something yep. you know. So it's like that means they're like Acclimated to human food So I was like oh man this is a bad idea Like dude we'll be fine we camp out here all the time Like okay so we, we take off we climb up the mountain pass and we're starting to go down the other side. It flattens out a little bit. The sun goes down. It's starting to go down. And those guys got a little bit ahead of me. And I, I come across, uh, I think it was David. He was stopped in the middle of the road. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? You good? He's like, oh, yeah, a grizzly just passed in front of me here. Was that your like,
1: first time seeing wildlife on, like, a grizzly bear on this route?
2: Well, I didn't see one until next day. See, I, didn't okay. see, I didn't see that one. Or then we caught up to Dean. He was ahead of both of us. And Dean was stopped in the middle of the road. He's like... Yeah, I just saw a grizzly cross the road because they're coming out because the sun went down. It's like, man, this is really bad. Like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so we end up finding a place to camp, middle of the wilderness. I mean, like thirty miles away from anything. You know, thirty miles back, thirty miles to the next town. So like, middle of nowhere. You know, because I had like no cell service. I think my my tracker was working. So I was a little freaked out. You know, and uh, I pulled up my bivy. And I had never used my bivvy before. Another terrible thing to do. Like I didn't I didn't try oh, no. I didn't try my bivvy even before oh. I went on that. So I found out it was a little too short for me. <laughs> oh, no. So like you're super tall. Yeah, yeah. so I'm 6'5. So I'm kind of sticking I can't even like shut my bivy. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like st- my head's like sticking out of this thing. And uh it's made of like Tyvek, so it's super noisy, which is maybe a good thing. But Uh, I got like an hour of sleep that night, you know, because we're all we're all loaded up with food on our bikes. And I was just thinking we put our bikes away from us, you know, which is smart. You don't have any food near you. Yeah. But I I had been eating like pepperoni sticks like like for the past three hours, like covered in pepperoni oil. It's like
1: you're like the grizzly's going to smell it. Yeah. Oh, Oh,
2: for sure. They would smell it. Their their sense of smell is like really good. So it's like a hundred times better than humans or something like something insane. I think even better than dogs. So that's that's one thing I did do probably, probably shouldn't have. Like I, I looked up all kinds of stuff on grizzly bears and like in predators in the area. So I, I watched all these videos. Like I wanted to know, like if I get charged by one, like what you do is different for grizzly versus a, a black bear, you know? So I knew what to do. So I probably had really freaked myself out. Um, and then seeing those guys seeing two bear before, you know, we even set up camp, kind of close to where we're camping. Um, I thought for sure my bike was just going to be destroyed. And it's like, and then like you're 30 miles from nowhere with the destroyed bike. And like you know. your, oh what's your fear is
0: rational too. Like yeah. people yeah. have oh, literally yeah. been killed by bears doing the tour divide. And
1: yeah. it's also not yeah. that like you heard, oh yeah, grizzly bears are in this area. You literally had confirmation that they're, they were in the area.
2: Right. Yeah. And I, I hopefully... I'm not freaking people out and discouraging them from doing this, but yeah, someone was, it was a tragedy um, last year and that was not really during the tour divide, but it was someone was doing the great divide mountain bike route and then um, unfortunately she was killed in a, in town, in a small town uh, in Montana. Which, um,
0: yeah. Didn't she have like food in her tent? I, I think they that thought, was, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you can do your best you can, but still, you know, there's going to be um, some bears out there that are bad bears, you know, yep. essentially. Um but yeah that that's after that night I slept an hour and you know woke up feeling terrible um and those guys took off um cuz they slept pretty well I think um I basically cut the next day short and it's like all right I am just getting a motel wherever I can along this route um so I ended up sleeping outside I think three times but you know one night I rode through the night without stopping too so obviously, I didn't have to get a motel for that one, which I would have liked a motel for that night. Though.
1: How does that work with camping? Is there a guide before you start of like, okay, here's great places to camp, or do you just literally set your tent up against or, or along the
2: road? Well, you're supposed to like in, in like Banff National Park, there's designated areas where you're supposed to actually camp, and um, you know that's where you really should do your homework and make sure you're camping somewhere. Um, I think in Montana, that that point, that place we camped. I mean, it was just alongside of a, a roadway with a opening. Um, it wasn't really a, a camping spot, you know. A lot of folks, what they do is they they try to find a vault toilet that is like pretty much bulletproof and bearproof. And, and they sleep inside. They'll, they'll sleep in there. Yeah. Wow.
0: yeah oh man, if it's any kind, if it's above like forty five degrees, that would be a yeah. smelly. I, sleep. Sure I would
2: have slept in a, a vault toilet. You know, in a heartbeat that one night in Montana, I mean, like, heck, yeah, I probably could have slept a little bit better. Yeah. You know, yeah. versus Take like, what you, can get. you know, like every little thing, you, your head's on a swivel worrying about, you know, predators. Uh, And then
0: what, a like, I know you had some other injuries, too. What were some other injuries? You, so you talked about your, you, you wore a hole in your own yeah, calf.
2: Yeah, that was, that one actually ended up being kind of serious because I thought, and if I didn't get it taken care of, it can turn into sepsis and that could kill you. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to really take care of that and kind of back it down. That's why another reason why I wanted to get motels as much as I could to kind of keep that clean, you know, to wash it every night, to, to make sure I was dressing it, um, to put, you know, Neosporin on. Just keep a close eye on it because that could go south pretty quick. Um, but another injury I had is I'm actually even touching my tortivide toe, as I call it, uh, broke my big toe on my left foot in butte montana um waking up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night in a motel just caught my big toe on the carpet and snapped it so yeah it
1: come on you couldn't have done it in a cooler way yeah. you're you're riding your bike across the country and
2: I, I know. stubbing but, in a hotel so yeah you
0: and like so both of those are pretty serious injuries as, as far as at the minimum comfort on the bike yeah and you still finish and they were early on within the first
2: week yeah so the thing um the toe was like day five so the, you broke your toe on day five yeah the, the leg was on day one when I, it started so yeah that kind of kind of made things a little more difficult especially like you know walking down so i think the the morning that i broke my big toe i had to go down um this thing called fleecer ridge and the folks that know Fleece ridge it, it's very very steep i mean i don't know what you know degree or angle it is i mean it, it's great it's it's very very steep and it's kind of like looser rock so i've heard of people riding down it if they've ridden down that wow that's pretty impressive but i walk down it so you're walking down you're just jamming your 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 foot your toes into the front of your shoe so by the time i got down from that i went to i think wise river or something like that um i went and got some breakfast and i didn't even realize i broke my toe You know, I just I was half asleep when I felt it. I heard it snap, and and I was just like, I hate that. Okay, you know, and and I I put my shoe on and I just went. Um, Didn't hurt terribly when I rode, but mainly when I walked. So by the time I got to that place for breakfast, I was like, oh man, I'm not walking real good. And I took off my my shoe, my sock, and it's like my my shoes like has a ton of blood in it. So, oh my yeah, it, was, it was pretty stupid. Corey, oh my goodness! So, so I, I, t- I took a picture eventually, and I sent it to my buddy, um, Scott Bigelow, is an orthopedic surgeon. Like, hey man, what do you think of this? He's like, it's broken. Oh. Like, like, do you think so? Like, I, I think maybe it's just I, I, maybe I just stubbed it, and like I broke the nail bed or something because you know it was cracked by the nail nail bed too. Like, um, he's like, no, you, you broke it, man. Like, I can tell that's broken. Oh, so, um, yeah, this is. It, this made things a little more complicated And I wanted to take care of that Because it had broken through the skin um, Oh my god uh, Like by the nail God Um. So I had to take care of that Because you know Your feet are just getting nasty You're walking through streams occasionally Super dirty Sometimes mud All so, the
1: sweat That, that yeah. pain of sweat oh, like, Getting into oh a yeah, wound yeah. Oh So
2: you, you really just want to Like all those small things Um. You really just need to take care of Before they become a bigger issue And like also, you know, the toe hurt, but I will say I had a saddle sore that hurt way worse than that at the time. So maybe that was a good thing because like every pedal stroke, my saddle sore hurt so bad and the, the toe didn't hurt that bad. Eventually toe got better. Saddle sore went away.
0: And the, I mean, the worst thing about saddle sores is the only way they get better is rest like pretty much. So it doesn't yeah. matter how much chamois cream, what you we've talked before, like you didn't want to put chamois cream on it. Because then it like yeah. closes it up. and Yeah, I, and I don't use like any kind of chamois lotion. But do you want to talk about how you made sure it didn't get infected every night? Because it's gnarly Yeah, and it makes me
2: squirm thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, that was the reason why I wanted to get a hotel too. I mean, really like taking care of your behind is very important. Because there was a gentleman from, I think he was from France. And he was crushing it like the first couple of days. But I think we got to somewhere in Montana because like, dude, like, why, why are you behind me now? Like you were killing it earlier. Like what's going on? He's like, dude, I have this saddle sore. It's killing me. And like, I I need to find a clinic. So he was waiting for a clinic to open in some sort of uh, small town, Montana. And then we're riding in town. I think, Hey man, I think I see one over there that go there. So he went and he was telling me it was like cut a tennis ball in half kind of size. I mean, that's, that's how bad it was but he ended up pulling a tennis ball. It. it was, I think that's what he said, or maybe it was a golf ball. It was big, whatever it was. It was Ugh. something that it was causing him extreme pain, but he ended up pulling the plug, you know, like three days in due to a saddle sore. So I believe it. I mean, that's
0: that. I mean, you're relentless and like, that's the only, pretty much the only contact point besides your feet on your pedals that you're touching all the time. Like your hands, yeah. you can take off, your feet, you could even take off a little bit and move yeah. your feet around, but you're yeah. pretty much on your saddle
2: the whole time. Yeah, and then getting wet day one, I mean, yep. that just exacerbated things. And, you know, and if people camped, you know, if you camp, you know, I just kept my chamois on when I camped because I didn't want to have to try to put it back on the next day because it's, it's tough putting on a wet chamois when it's wet and cold. So I just slept in it. I think that's what a lot of people would do. And that's just like a breeding ground for bacteria for saddle sores to happen. So for me, like getting a hotel showering, like I slept naked every night, you know, um, everything out. Um, what I would do it also, I'd, I'd put on some, uh, hurt hand sanitizer. So it would just kill everything (laughs) down there.
0: (laughs) That's what I was talking about. Yeah.
2: Hand sanitizer. And then I would put on, uh, like neosporin, like an antibacterial. That was basically what I, I would put that on before I'd throw my kit on in the morning, and I'd wash my kit. I only took one pair of bibs. use used the same pair of bibs the whole entire time. I'd wash my bibs in the sink and then try to put them next to the like air conditioner or the heater if it was really cold just so they dry out a little bit more. Um, then I had them laundered, I think, twice along the route. So, yeah, I mean, taking care... Those contact points, like your hands, your feet, your butt, um, you'd be surprised. One of those things, or all of them, can take people out. Yeah. And I, I heard like people had numb hands. You know, they they couldn't hang onto their bar. They couldn't open food. They couldn't shift very well. They ended up pulling the plug. They, their hands would go completely numb, or their feet would just be wrecked, and they had trouble walking, so they had pulled the plug. Or the saddle sores. So, I mean, I had my feet were hurting because of in you know, the broken toe. And just being on your feet that much, um, you know, I had, I had some like numb toes for six months after still, but you know, my butt had the one saddle sore, but after that I was golden the rest of the way.
1: So how long did the saddle sore last?
2: Um, I think it lasted like it was pretty painful for a couple of days and then it started settling down. Um, but after a week it, I was good to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like also, you know, having that ability to get dry, to get clean, I, I think that's what really helped me get to the finish. And then also taking care of my hands. I forgot my gloves, um, when I got off the Banff, I figured that out. So I end up having to buy some gloves at a local bike shop and I must have just got lucky. I picked a really good pair of gloves and I had no hand issues. Ooh, None that's, at all. No that's a numbness. Plus. Yeah, no numbness. I think the drop bar having that, having some, you know, bunch of different hand positions helped out. Whereas like a mountain bike, you have limited hand. Uh, positions so i think for me the drop bar really worked well
0: Well, so then you got um we've kind of a lot of the stories have been like the front half of it so was there a point where you felt like you were in a groove and you're like okay like i'm gonna wake up today i'm gonna ride 100 miles whatever it is and then keep rolling or was it was it like a battle every single day like or yeah was there ever a point where you're like all right it's a, we're just riding our bike today or was every day just like alright this is gonna
2: <laughs> this is gonna be another battle well I think yeah I mean I knew it was, every day was gonna be tough when when I would finish uh, I would say to myself wow that was really hard and it was like every day it was like wow that was really hard and I'll describe it to people think about the hardest ride you do in a season and that's kind of what it reminded me of because you're at elevation it's You're not moving super fast. You're carrying a bunch of weight. Um, It's unfamiliar territory. So, and I was always trying to race to the next town because I wanted to get to the next town before the the convenience store closed or the diner closed or the lodging was booked. So I was always trying to get there as soon as I possibly could. So it was always really tough. I was always kind of pushing myself. I did get kind of in a groove after a while. I mean, after doing that for like 23 days, your body really acclimates. I mean, you just burn through the calories. And you you develop a really good spin. Um, you get a good feel for the bike and how it handles. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely tough. I'd, I'd wake up. Some days I'm like, oh, where am I? Like, oh, yeah, I'm in the middle of this really long event I'm doing right now. <laughs> like, and, and it was kind of uh, overwhelming at times. But I say that, and 10 miles from the finish, I didn't want it. At the end. You know, I knew every day was really hard. And... You really just have like a single focus all day. Ride your bike. Keep moving forward. You know, see some really cool stuff along the way. That's what I'd always try to stop. If I saw something cool and just hang out for a little bit. Or if there's someone cool to talk with, you know, always stop and do that. Like whenever someone would pass me the opposite direction. You know, you always, that's kind of a common courtesy. You stop and you share intel. Like, hey man, like, dude, you're going to, like in 10 miles from now, you're going to hit this really cool city or a small mountain town. Dude, stop and get... The, the burger there or whatever or um don't camp in the city park because sprinklers start at 2 a.m you know kind oh, of, no. kind of deal. Okay. Okay. like yeah you're gonna find that out if you camp in the city park because normally you just go oh it's a city park i'll camp there like sprinklers start at 2 a.m so you find out the hard way so you always pass the intel but um yeah at, towards the end there i wanted to keep on going i wanted it to not stop because you know going back to your your daily life you know the grind the work and whatnot um, you, you put all that behind you and you can just focus on, you know, having a good experience.
1: Did you ever take any days off or did you ride every single one of those days?
2: I rode every day, you know, I, I thought my, I had planned on taking a day off, like probably in steamboat, but, you know, I just really wanted to to keep going because you didn't want to get out of that rhythm, you know, just, I think taking a day off for me, it, and it may have been a slippery slope, like, eh, maybe I'll take another day off here. You know, I kind of wanted to get done in a certain time period. I think my shortest day was right around 50 miles. Um, but, you know, I needed to get my bike work done. That was like going to steamboat. And then uh, there was some really bad storms coming in that afternoon. And I knew if i go up, you'd, you'd have to climb out and just get pummeled by some storms. And some guys tried to go. They took off and started going up the pass. And they didn't turn it around because they just got hammered by a storm so hail and just it was pretty bad i remember thinking like man i'm glad i got a hotel room and i got like the last hotel room i think in steamboat so i was 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 pretty lucky what um
0: what so what was you said 50 miles was your shortest
2: day what was your Mm -hmm. longest day um i think my longest like run was i think i did 250 miles but that was over a couple days like a day and a half because i didn't sleep the night it was down in new mexico um i started in think Grants, New Mexico, and went to Silver City. So that was a pretty long haul, because from Grants to uh, the next 70 miles, you have a stop in Town, but then from Pytown to Silver City, you really don't have anything. So for like 180 miles, pretty much no services. So I knew I had to make a push all the way through, because if you stop, you know, the way I was doing it, I wasn't carrying it, I couldn't carry that much food for two days, or that much water for that matter i mean i did have like a a small filter but i just wanted to kind of push through so yeah it was uh 250 and that was was rough i I was living on Mm. uh candy on the way in that was that's where i destroyed mcdonald's (laughs) and i I ate so much It it was so bad what
0: was the like most satisfying thing you ate after like when you when you finished and you had actual resources and you're like oh my gosh
2: yeah i think I've heard other people say this, um, fruits and vegetables, like really like wholesome food for once, because I was living on honey buns and candy, um, slim jims. I mean, just, and you know, some, some good food at small towns and whatnot, like burgers and some good breakfast stuff. But a lot of like frozen burritos, you know, like the big frozen burrito to throw in your back pocket, frozen, sit there for, you know, six hours and it warms up. Eat it like that. Eat
0: it at 98.6 degrees. That was, that was my deal.
2: <laughs> Seriously. I ate a ton of bean burritos. Um, so yeah, kind of detoxing from all the junk. I mean, I have a degree in nutrition, you know, and it just, I, I would be interested to do like a lipid profile, like check your cholesterol before you start and then how it is afterwards. It'd be interesting to kind of see that you know
0: it'd be it'd be kind of like the uh like how now they're doing way more tests on the guys that are doing like the tour de france and how horrible it is for your body and just yeah something like that do like a full medical makeup before of like 10 people yeah and then 10 like do the 10 after that so then you at least
2: have a pool size it'd be it'd be really interesting of a medical study for sure i thought of that like even doing like this some basic metabolic profiles and whatnot because eating that much food, like in that much protein, it's hard on your kidneys. I mean, it it really is. So, and I only have one kidney. So I thought of that, it's like, man, am I going to thump my kidney here and run into into trouble? But you know, drinking a ton of water helped out and I was definitely drinking a ton of water. Did you also do this after your spinal cord injury? Yep. Yeah. That was, um, my cord injury was in 2010. So there was a couple sections where I had to kind of portage my bike and just way tougher. And there's like this really iconic, uh, climb. It's more like a a hike in Canada. I think it's in British Columbia. They call it the wall. So you're like in super thick grizzly country, like, and you're seeing piles of dung everywhere. Um, you're going by like blueberry patches and like, like really kind of single track area, like walking through like small streams. It's like, man, this is like complete bear heaven here. Yeah. And then you're seeing on the trees, like huge bear scratches. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. And I was getting with this guy named Greg May. I think he was from Ireland. And uh, we were both just like, we should probably stick together through this. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea, man. Let's just let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go ahead and get together through this one to get, you know, this, this is a stretch. So we end up going up this thing called the wall. We ran into some people. But it's just like, it's a super steep, like muddy, like incline. And that was tough. Because I thought I was going to lose, like really drop my bike. And I had someone behind me because I had trouble like pushing it up this thing. And I was using it. I had both brakes engaged. I would push it up a little bit with both brakes engaged. Kind of use it as like a walking stick Mm. and then pull myself up with the bike And then just do that all the way up. And it's not like super long. I mean, I was expecting it to be worse than it was, a lot longer. But it was steep. It was loose. It wasn't easy to get up um, with a loaded bike. So, yeah. And then when we got the top, um, we kind of hung out for a bit. I remember Greg took a photo because I go, dude, what? Are those bear marks in the trees? Like, yeah. Yeah, those are marking their territory. And he has a a photo of me, like like looking next to this, this tree, like, man. That's yeah. So insane. like
0: for, to talk about like how difficult that is with your spinal cord injury, you've, you've lost a lot of control or like muscle in your right arm. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. I had a, a C two through six cord injury, um, in 2010, uh, and it just ride my mountain bike, uh, hit a small stump and went uh, you know over the bars and got knocked out. And I didn't realize, I, I knew I hurt my neck. It hurt for a while, but it, I didn't break my neck but I, I damaged my spinal cord. So um, my chiropractor later said like, yeah, your, your skull was off the top of your spine. So, that, oh my god so, and maybe, maybe when she adjusted it, maybe she damaged my cord Who knows? But um, yeah, it took many, many years for the thing, my muscles to atrophy, but I knew right away, like I couldn't do pushups anymore. I was, I was always doing yoga. I couldn't do down dog anymore. I couldn't hold myself up. Um, so I, I just thought maybe I tore something in my shoulder. Uh, and I just, Took forever to figure out what was going on And you know I went to a neurologist They thought I had MS for a while And then uh, it's like oh yeah I, I did have this really bad crash where I hurt my neck For a bit because they figured out Like well oh, you don't have MS because you don't have any lesions On your, your brain um, So it's like yeah I think maybe I damaged my spinal cord during a crash Like yep that's must be it
1: Going so, into the tour were you Concerned about that in- Injury affecting it
2: Yeah because after that happened, um, for me, cycling got way harder. Uh, I had trouble holding myself up on the bike and and for me like I guess it really addressed your question, Jason with like what it has it done, the C2 through six, it's two of the four rotator cuff muscles in my right shoulder, which is my dominant arm are paralyzed completely. like they don't work. I mean they're there, the muscles are there, they just don't work. Um, and part of my bicep, uh, part of my tricep, um, part of my forearm and, and some even hand strength, um, my, my chest, uh, my back and part of my diaphragm as well. So primarily the right side, but a little bit left side too. So it's not just like, I, I hurt just the right side. Like I lost strength in my whole entire upper body. So like holding myself up during longer gravel events was tough. And it's like, I had to, I had to relearn how to do that. Um, so like mountain biking was tougher You know, I I kept crashing the mountain bikes because I couldn't, uh, wheelie, you know, like only my left side would, would work better than my right side. And then I just would pull too hard on the left side of the handlebar versus the right and just end up crashing. So, and it's really frustrating. Like your brain is telling your body to do something and it just doesn't do it. So, I mean, I'm lucky. I don't have a really bad cord injury for the folks who are, you know, have complete paralysis um that could imagine how terrible that is like i also have um all my sensory function whereas m- the motor function is damaged but you know some people lose sensation too you know that would be terrible um so i guess i consider myself lucky in that respect
0: or or have like con- just constant pain too like if it's a nerve depending yeah. on how the nerve is damaged they can
2: have like phantom pains too right yeah and i have like i still have this like <clears throat> I have spasms, like not like what it was when, when it first happened, like because your muscles are starting to shrink and you know, there's still muscles. They, they just cramp up like I was cramping all the time, like pec or back or arm, you know, just just weird. It, and like the, my muscles, like they, they kind of just fire by themselves quite often um, and it wake you up at night. So I wasn't sleeping very well for a long time, you know, just wake up cramping, you know, weird things. So, um, yeah.
1: What would you say the hardest portion of the tour was for you, whether it was affected by injury or not? What was the hardest, most challenging memory you look back on or section?
2: Um, you know, for me, as far as sections, I I think, you know, stuff up north and maybe because it was so early, it was very challenging because I think they, like in Colorado, they do a lot of switchbacks up mountains seems like in Montana and parts of Canada, they just go like straight up. <laughs> they just like, there was a lot of straight like roads we had to go up. It was, they're steeper, um, less traveled. Um, it, it was tough. And maybe just, like I said, adjusting to the shock of getting into it. Um, that was difficult. The, the great basin was pretty tough and that's a section of, uh, Wyoming, um, uh, kind of high desert, very windy. The folks folks have done it before. They know how the wind can be, you know, I, at one point, I was doing my best to go four miles per hour. And, you know, that's when you're going four miles per hour You and it's like a hundred mile stretch. You're like, I... That sucks. Yeah, I, I'm going to be out here a while. And then you're like, all right, I'm not going to have enough food. I'm not going to have water. You know, luckily for me, you know, when I started at the Great Basin, I had really strong headwind, like 30 mile per hour headwind or something like that. Almost blow you over in some situations but, um, it d- died down and actually, um, turned for me into a tailwind for a bit, like a tiny bit. So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, like those are some of the iconic parts, like the basin's a really difficult one and the, and the Hilo was really tough too. Cause that's that stretch, like I said, from uh, pie town to silver city without really any resources. And a lot of people just try to do a push and there's three mountain passes. You have to go over that. So that was another tough one, too.
1: So just like most cycling events, it was just as physically hard as mentally hard as well.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you had a lot of planning, a lot of, for me, calculating uh, calories. And I always tell people, like, you know, you, you have to, like, maximize how much food you can carry. So when I would go into a community store, I would look for, like, the worst, most calorically dense food as I could find that was, like, would keep pretty well. So for me, I found that, the honey buns were pretty good because you could actually pop the bag a little bit and then squish them, like really squish them. And there's 500 calories in those. So that would be like an hour on average. So I would usually try to carry like six to eight of those things at a time. And, my and just fr- squish them down. Just squish them oh, as much gosh. as I could. Because yeah, it's the same. I mean, doesn't yeah. matter if it's fluffy or not you know still
1: the same amount of calories
2: exactly and it's it's easier to eat when it's squished so and then if you have an iced honey bun i think they were they're were a little bit more but those are hard to squish um so that was like something i always try to focus on just your caloric intake and making sure you had enough of that so one thing i
0: i feel like we should talk about that was very tough on your on your ride um was your dad and you knew going into it that your dad was sick. Yeah. Um, and that he was ultimately the one, if I'm correct to tell you, you have to do this.
2: Yeah. So my dad had, um, multiple heart attacks and heart disease ended up having heart failure and being in my position, um, at work, I worked in cardiology for over 20 years. Um, I, kn- I knew he was pretty sick and, but I didn't think he was as sick as he was because he ended up passing away during during the event but I spent some significant amount of time home with him before I went and I remember him telling me like you know I think I spent like five weeks at home in a couple couple stretches like you don't need to sit around here and wait for me to die you know because I told him like I, I don't think I'm going to do this you know I'm going to come back here this summer he's like you got to go do it you know it's It's once in a lifetime for you, go do it. I'll I'll be fine, you know, like, you spent so much time here at home um, helping out, so I want you to go do this. So it was tough, and that's part of the reason why I really wanted to get it done quick. I wanted to get done, and I wanted to go home. Um, But a little over halfway, um, he ended up passing away. He went pretty quick, and uh, I was gonna come home then, but my mom said my dad wanted me to keep on going. And part of, the reason why, part of the reason why I wanted to go do the Tour Divide is um, when we were younger, my family went on this big trip out west cause we were from Ohio, went out to Yellowstone and, and saw all the the Rockies. And, you know, my dad was really excited about that. And, and I really grew to appreciate the wilderness because of my dad. And I wanted to go do that um, to really kind of honor him, you know, part of the Tour Divide. And I, even though I wasn't there when he passed away, I, I still felt a connection to my dad during the event because I was out there, I was doing that. And it was tough though. That was that was by far the toughest thing. And I was thinking like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Um, should I just go home? But he wanted me to keep going. So I, I wanted to finish it for him and that's what I did.
1: Well, bikes are therapy to so many people, and I can't imagine a better way to process something than an event like that when you're you're only left alone with your thoughts and the challenge ahead of you. So what was that like, you know, those processing weeks after?
2: Yeah, I had a lot of time to think, that's for sure. And I did regret not being there for my mom, my brother, but, you know, honoring my dad and, and getting to that finish line, That was that was my priority after he had passed. Um, I, I really, I took the time to, to really make peace with, with his passing. And a lot of folks do the divide for different reasons. Um, for me, I guess it changed, you know, part of the way down the course, you know, I, w- I wanted to, for me, I wanted to explore and check out the Rockies and, and, and check all that out before it changed dramatically. Cause it's changing you know and it's probably changed a ton since i was there in 2016 um and i'm, I'm glad i did it when i did it uh, even though it was a warm year but like i said it changed for me i wanted to get to the finish line to really honor my dad and hopefully uh make him proud
0: you did you did for sure so what was what was that finish like it's not like a gravel worlds or an unbound where you've got cowbells and people screaming. It's just a town that it's kind of, or it's,
2: it's, it's, it's not even a town. Man. It's just a, a rock, right? Or Well, they have like a, a sign. Um, it's basically it's a border crossing. So it's a very probably, well, maybe it is a well-traveled border crossing, but it's a smaller border crossing. So there's no services really there. There might've been a pop machine there, but I couldn't find it. But yeah, you take, they call it the Lonely Highway. The last stretch is like 65 miles of a two-lane highway, no shoulder, so it's flat, like pancake flat. So when I got there, it's like, oh, it's only 65 miles. You know, it's like, but 65 miles is still a pretty good ride. Yeah. Um, it seemed like that last 65 took a long time, um, and it was, you know, for me, it was middle of night. I finished like at 3:45 in the morning. Wow. So. It, which was kind of cool because I saw some pretty cool wildlife on the last day, like owls, like it's like white spotted owls or something. There, a couple of them were flying with me for a while because they're using my light to kind of like hunt for stuff. Yeah. Saw like a tarantula migration, I guess, like a ton of tarantulas. <laughs> I, I went through. That's terrifying. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I, um, nightmare fuel right there. Yeah, before the uh, before the pavement, I went through like a couple sandy sections, like like all these tarantulas everywhere. It's like <gasps> what, so. <laughs> So I was like, yeah, it must have been like a migration. Like, it was insane. Like, I was dodging tarantulas, hoping I didn't hit one and fling it up uh, on me. Um, but yeah, the last little bit, kind of anticlimactic, but takes a long, you know, 65-mile stretch into the, the border crossing there. I uh, I saw some of the Border Patrol agents. Um, they are they were along there. I, I passed. They were sitting on the side of the road, and they, it was kind of cool. They... They turned their lights on for me, they flashed their flashed the lights and cheered for me as I went by. Did That's, they know? Like Oh yeah, they, they know what they know what's they, going on. Okay. Yeah. They know, like, oh, it's one of those nut jobs, you know, doing <laughs> that sort of thing, middle of the night by himself. Um But, you know, I was getting kinda worried worried because my ride, Yulia, she drove all the way from Lincoln, she did an awesome job. And I told her I was taking off, you know, like the day before at 5 p.m., like, all right, like backwards math. I think this will be about time I finish. And she actually calculated it herself, uh, looking at my average speed. And she timed it perfect. Like, literally, wow. I think five minutes before I got to the border, like, she passed me and, like, thank God you're here. Yeah. What a queen. <laughs> yeah. So it was cool. She was waiting for me when I got there, uh, middle of night. So there's no one there. And just Yulia with, with the lights on, she turned the parked the car. So the lights were shining on the sign, you know, the border crossing, the iconic sign. I sat down, had a banana, and we got out of there. So that was really. Did you real. cry when you finished? Oh, you know, I, I I'm not like a super emotional guy. I mean, it was it was cool to be done, but no, I was so tired. Yeah. Because I, I had like the night before or the two nights before I had gone through without sleeping. I had basically slept for like five hours, and I was like, I I woke up to go to the bathroom like, I, it was like Christmas because like I knew I had one day to go. I was like, I'm just going to go do it. It was like 5 p.m. I took off because I had planned on sleeping like 14 hours. But I woke up and I was like, I think I'm okay. You know, I think I can do this. You know, I've been in a lot worse positions in the past 20 some days. Like, <laughs> I think I can do this. So that's why I just took off. But I was just so wrecked. And then on the way back, driving from the border, it's pretty funny. Uh, we got stopped by one of the border patrols. They came, you know, turned the lights on. They pulled us over. And they're like, where'd you come from? And... And I was like, he, he said that to Yulia. And I looked over. I'm like, hey, it's me. I'm like, oh, like, how did she, how did you get by us? They, <laughs> they didn't see her go south to the border. No way. It's like, she just picked me up, man. She was, she just drove down like five minutes before I got there. So I don't know how you missed her. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of funny. Like we snuck by a border patrol somehow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've got a question for you. Would you ever do it again?
2: Yeah, I, I thought about it. And I will say that, for me, that took a lot out of me. That was a a, a huge effort. And knowing that it was a easier year, um, I think I I would have second thoughts. But when I talk to friends that they want to do it, I'm like, I'll do it with you. You know, I, I immediately say that. I think I'd, I'd like to try it someday if I can get stronger again. But it's not something you need to you want to go in not being prepared for as far as fitness. You know it's not something you can ride yourself into fitness and then you know me i got lucky i did it during a good year but like this past year you know there were some some folks who got into some pretty, pretty serious trouble you know with snow hypothermia they had to be you know rescued out of there um, i think i would have to prepare a lot better and make sure i could really get myself out of dangerous situations i just got lucky i got admit it. i got i got lucky and had a it was a good year
0: well, I've always been impressed and like I love hearing the stories. There's so many more that yeah. I've like heard that we're already at an hour. So like maybe we'll have
2: a Tour Divide 2.0 next year. But uh, I know. I, I drive everybody crazy. Like <laughs> almost every ride I tell a Tour Divide story. It, you it's, do. It, it's, it's great. It sticks with you. I can't. You can't shake it. You know,
1: it, it's something that not many people can say oh yeah i rode my bike from canada down to mexico you're part of a very small cool kids club
0: it's kind of the ultimate one upper it is like bike story like there's very there's very few that you're like oh i did unless you did like the ride around the world kind of thing or yeah there's the guy that rode his unicycle from the north pole down to the tip of South America, right? Like that wins, but yeah, there's very few one uppers on that. Well
2: I think someone's actually done the tour divide on a unicycle. No so. I believe it. I believe that's... there's
0: that there's that one guy that I, I'm pretty sure he's maybe he's still going. He's like riding his unicycle from like the tip of Canada or Alaska yeah. all the way mm-hmm. to the south tip of South America. That's like crazy. that's that's a journey right there. But yeah. anyway, um thank you, Corey, for telling that story. Um yeah. what would you What would you tell someone who's wanting to do this because we we talked about a lot of bad but there's yeah, but that's part of the challenge like people that Are gonna do this they know. Yeah, what they're getting into. they know that they're they're doing that So like what would you tell somebody who wants to do it?
2: Yeah, I was telling myself for a number of years like you need to do this you need to do this and I kept putting it off for different reasons Mainly because of occupational. I think you just need to commit to it and, and go do it you know, I Decided I really was going to do it when I was laying in a hospital bag after I had appendicitis, and I thought I was going to die because I had an ileus. It's like, I never got to do the tour divide. If I make it through this, I'm doing it next year. And I made it through it, so I was like, all right, I'm doing it. So you just have to commit, and really probably a year in advance to get all your gear and yourself ready and just do all the research. So commit to it, get it done. Um, it's a life-changing experience for sure. And I highly recommend it.
1: Well, before we go, I do want to say I'm going to link a documentary that's on YouTube that I've watched about this. And it's, it's really cool. It documents all the way from the beginning of their ride all the way to, to the end, end of it. Wow, can't talk there. Um, but I'll link that. Usually we do have a question. It's what does the Gravel family mean to you? But this time I'm going to ask, what does finishing the Tour to Divide mean to you? Wow,
2: that's a good one. Hmm. Good audible. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to me, it means that I accomplished something that I set out to do that i really didn't think I could do. I really had doubts that I could do this and, you know, overcoming that challenge, it was really exciting. And it's something that I think everyone should experience. Um, some kind of challenge like that to where you think you're probably going to fail. You're not hundred percent sure you can do it, but to go ahead and do it anyway, and you can surprise yourself. So I'm really glad I got that done and I encourage folks to go out and try something like this.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Corey. If you've ever been to gravel worlds, you can thank Corey. He's the founder of gravel worlds. He's well-deserved to be in the gravel cycling hall of fame. Um, Very, very close and dear friend to Sophia and I. So thank you for everything, Corey. You'll uh you'll find Corey at Gravel Worlds this year, as always. He'll always be there. So uh yeah, if if you have any questions, m- ask your questions in our Instagram account mm-hmm. and or when we post about this, and he'll he'll reply uh, to our divide questions on there. So yeah. Thank you all so much for another great episode. Thank you, Corey, for everything you've done to make our world a little bit better. Yes, thank you guys. It was awesome. I'm Sophia. I'm Jason. I'm Corey.
1: And this has been another episode of the Gravel Family Podcast. We will see you next time.